0: Welcome to Cast, the fan community podcast for Obsidian Entertainment's future RPG video game titled Avowed. This is a podcast for fans, by fans. We are not affiliated with Obsidian anyway, um, though we would allow them to break in line at the supermarket. We love them to death. My name is Sora and I'll be your host today with uh, some fellow fans from around the world who are joining me today to talk about um, something we're all kind of excited about as we wait for Avowed and it is the early release of Baldur's Gate 3. Um, This podcast was recorded before the actual release day um, and we talked about some of the things we had heard about the game already, some of the things we were excited about, and a little bit about the history of Baldur's Gate.
1: Hey, this brings back some memories, huh?
0: Baldur's Gate 3 is coming out. It's It's uh, been delayed, but not by much. I think the new date is October 6th for early access to Baldur's Gate 3, um, which is coming out on PC, uh, available on Steam. You can go to Steam right now and you can see uh, all the details on it. They've... One of the things they've been really good about, I think, uh, is they, Larian, is they've been really good as a studio about releasing um, teaser content. So they've really put out a lot of details about the game. So I want to get into some of that today. Uh, but before we do that, I have a very personal connection with Bald- Baldur's Gate because um, I am old enough to say that I played Baldur's Gate 1 and played Baldur's Gate 2. Um, and they were big games for me as a kid um and I they just made a huge impact on me and really kind of steered me towards that genre um when I was young it kind of helped uh shape shape my feel of what games to play I mean the, the only there's a few other games that come to mind that were that were really impactful for me when I was a kid Ultima of course uh Zork the Zork games from Infocom were huge for me Oh man yeah but uh Baldur's Gate was just incredible and and one of the things I love about the game is uh, the first game uh, first of all came from a company called BioWare we know BioWare now um many people don't know that that company was founded by a couple of doctors so it was not founded by game people at all in fact a lot is that of people why it's don't...
2: called BioWare
0: <laughs> yes yes a lot of people don't know that the first game, BioWare, the first game that came out in 1998, I think, they didn't have a single person in their entire staff. I think they had like 60 people on staff or 80, something like that. None of them had ever made a game before or produced a game before. None of them. So it, that in and of itself is pretty phenomenal. So it, the game was basically set to be a D&D game in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, it Used the AD&D Second Edition rules at the time. It was the very first Infinity Engine game to come out, which basically translates to top-down isometric RPG. Um, for the time it was released, it was heavy content game. There was very few games I could think about that came out in 1998 or earlier that you could put, you could sink 60 hours into, and you could easily do 50, 60 hours into the Baldur's Gate story. Um, It had one big expansion. I think it was called uh, Tales of the Sword Coast. It sold a million copies in the first year and two million total, which at the time, now that's not a big deal. But at 1998, that was a big deal. Um, It was a huge success. It was a huge story divided into like eight parts. There was a prologue and seven chapters. You played a ward of a mystical monk. I forgot the monk's name. Orion? Orion? Yes. Wow. See, I knew you would come through for me, parenthesis. Who travels Carion <laughs> who travels to Baldurgate to investigate these mysterious disappearances? Your your ward does. And it was very political, the story. It it included a lot of famous Forgotten Realms factions, locations, characters. It was one of the first games that allow you to have uh, I think there was something like up to 25 different companions. So it it kind of was groundbreaking in a lot of ways, which is surprising because at that point in time in 1998, there was there was not there was kind of a drought in RPG games. It, it was it was not being profitable for studios to do them. Action gaming at that time was what was hot. It was it was the beginning of the shooters. It was this transition, and and any PC games were mostly strategy games. We're talking like Civilization and things like that. Um, so this was a big deal um, and, and, it, and it made an impact. So two years later, uh, 20, no, two years later. Yeah, 2000, I think they came out with Baldur's Gate 2, which was Shadows of Um, uh, Help me out yeah. with that. Is I that right? right. Um, so that was also in Forgotten Realms in the country of Um, uh, I think it was a part of Faerun as well, you know, so part of the big yeah. map. It used Infinity Engine, top down. It was about sixty hours of play. It had an expansion called Throne of Ball. It sold two million copies. Um, and basically, you played the ward again, and you kind of continued the story. I think there was you were trying to kill this evil mage. Um, uh, Irenicus. Oh my god! There you go, John Irenicus. Yes. Oh, nice. And and then what was really cool about that? excuse me, as you became like uh, this evil slayer, uh, thus the name uh, for the expansion, you know, the ball. Um, <clears throat> and there was just some really cool twists in the plot that I really enjoyed. Now, unfortunately, after that was done, uh, after Baldur's Gate 2 was done, the interplay went out of business and um, they lost their D&D license and things kind of fell apart. But there was a bunch of other games in between. Obviously, we have the Icewind Dale games that were made by Black Isle. Um, Planescape Torment was another type of Baldur's Gate game. But I'm curious, if we're looking back at Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, who has played either of those games, and what were your thoughts about those?
3: Well, I, I have played only the first one. I, uh, I like to play the first one before I played the second one. I never got through the first one. It is a an interesting game. It is it's certainly a, a seminal game, but it is also a very, uh, in retrospect, a very kind of road game. I mean, it's it's Forgotten Realms, which is fairly vanilla as as far as fantasy goes. Maybe because fantasy has kind of warped itself around Forgotten Realms, but that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. Um. But um. But, but yeah, I, I played it, never completed it. Um, it is a an interesting game, also because of the limitations it has. I mean, it's a game where you have companions you can't talk to at will. It's, there's a little talk icon, you can click on it, you can click on any NPC, and they will talk to you. If you click on your companions, nothing. That is a shocker for a modern game. You could do that in Fallout. You, right. you could talk to your right. companions in Fallout, and they would talk to you. And that was released a year before Baldur's Gate.
0: That's right. Fallout and Fallout 2, they were Black Isle Studios, I think, right?
4: Yes. Yeah, also owned by Interplay. And uh the first Fallout came out in 1997,
0: didn't it? Somewhere. It did. Yeah. That was the same guy who uh created uh Obsidian,
3: right? Or oh, well well not not, not entirely. Uh Tim Kane, who was the programmer and perhaps project lead I can't remember on Fallout left the the company somewhere between Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 release I think made Troika with the, with Leonard Boyarsky and, and a third person whose name escapes me but they rejoined Obsidian uh, some years later when after Troika went bust
4: Ripped Bloodlines
2: oh moment of silence Ripped
4: indeed
0: yeah, it's um it's a game, both games. Uh I I loved both of them, played through both of them. Both games have a strong foundation in a core group of gamers. Um, and I think that is helping uh helping the Baldur's Gate 3 quite a bit. Any game that has been gone for so long that so many people held dear or maybe you're you're a gamer, and your dad talked about Baldur's Gate, or um, so it's one of those things that's kind of been we, and even with Pillars of Eternity, you know, we know that those people, uh, Josh, and anybody in that staff, they were huge fans of of that, um, you know, to the extent that they even developed some things in in that line back in Black Isle days. Um, So we know the impact of it. So I think that's why Baldur's Gate 3 is pretty huge. And I just wanted to to bring up and talk about some things about it. The things that we know right now is we know it's coming out on October 6th. We know that's early access. That's important to remember because remember that this is an early access game. Uh, It is not the full game. The full game, the studio is saying, could come out as long as a year after. So we're looking at next October. Uh, October of 2021 is when the game is going to actually probably come out. We don't know for sure. It may be earlier, it may be later. Uh, the early access is a way for players to get a chance to taste the game, to give feedback to Larian, um, to, to kind of gauge the community a little bit. Um, there's quite a chance that it could be out again for a year. You could play this part of the game um, over and over and over again for a year if you wanted. It does have single-player main storyline, but it does have multiplayer components that they haven't talked a whole lot about, but a little bit about. Um, The combat is going to be like Divinity Original Sin. Of course, this game is being developed by Larian. And it's really interesting because if you look back at the history of of how Baldur's Gate 3 happened, it was pretty contentious for a while because um, basically Black Isle Studios, uh, they were in the process of planning Baldur's Gate 3 back in 2003. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've read about this. Yeah. Called the Black Hound. Um, That's when Interplay went bankrupt and screwed everybody. And. So they had to stop at that point. Um, What's interesting is after Divinity came out, um, the first one, the uh, original Sin, is that right? Yeah. Um, When that came out, uh, help me with the date on that, 2014, somewhere around there? Something like that. Let me check it out. Um, But Larian contacted Wizards of the Coast because they were interested in the Baldur's Gate license. And Wizards said... No, you're too young. You're not a developed studio. Yeah, you've got a title that looks great and it plays great. We've played it. It's really good. But we're not going to give up this this sought after this this, this amazing license. And, and there was other people who were looking at getting this license. And that includes Obsidian. There's other people out there that Ooh. were interested in this in this property, very interested. Imagine what different game it might be. You never know. But So basically after Divinity 2 was such a huge success, um, I think that was 2017, Wizards contacted Larian and said, hey, are you guys still interested? (laughs) Because this game is incredible um, and we think you could do a real good job with this. I think that story is kind of neat because initially Larian was like, we really, really, really want this. Will you give it to us? And they're like, Nope. And then they do a second successful game and wizards come back and says, basically, please, you know? Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. Imagine being Sven Venka in that moment and just <laughs> being like, Oh, you come yeah, to me now. I can see the fingers like twiddling you yeah. know, right <laughs> at
0: the desk, you know, like, Oh, yeah, let me think about this a little bit. Um, But the interesting thing about this is because of their partnership with Wizards, uh, it, it makes the game a little different because of, from what I've heard and is that this game has actually got a prequel, and that prequel is the module for D&D called Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. That's meant to be the prequel. That the actual game, BG3, starts right after the events at the end of that D&D module. Wait, is it right after? I thought it was like a couple hundred years after. I think Descent takes place like a, a couple, a hundred or so years after Baldur's Gate two. That might be what I'm thinking of. Let me check it out. I'm, I'm yeah, curious I'm curious. I'd like, to, I'd like to know for sure. But Descent and Avern- Avernus, I have not played it. I have not DM'd it. Um, has anybody here
2: played or DM'd that module? I am um, actually about to start playing. <laughs> In a, in a descent into a uh campaign, and That's I'm also good timing. yeah, I'm also definitely definitely jumping on Baldur's Gate three really hard as soon as it hits early access. In fact, I'm taking uh, I'm taking the sixth and seventh off, and I'm probably gonna be streaming it like pretty much the entire time I'm awake.
0: That's amazing. I love it. Um, I think it's it's interesting though because I think the fact that there's this hard book, there's this D D book. It is not a game. It is not a video game. And there, it shows how much um, care Larian is putting, Larian Studios is putting into this game and making sure it's a DD and d property. I think one of the key differences I think I would want to emphasize with people who are Divinity fans, this is not going to be Divinity 3. This game right. is not going to be Divinity 3. I think that's a good thing. I like that game, but I think that's a good thing. I think they really are digging into the whole DD style of play for fifth edition. I think they are digging into the lore. They have the license now to do that. Um, I think that if you're a DD fan, I think if you didn't like Divinity, I think this might be the game for you from them. We know they're good programmers, we know they can pull something like this off. Um, and I think if anybody could do it, then maybe Obsidian would be another one that comes to mind. Um, but I wouldn't want a whole lot of other people to have their hands on this kind of property. I feel like it's going to be safe with them. I feel like also the way they're approaching the fan community is great. They are not holding back. They just last week released a video on um, how love relationships work in the game. So they're, they have these development diaries coming out all the time. I, I really love when companies do that. They, this whole hiding behind a wall that Bethesda does, you know,
2: not a big fan yeah. of that one. Yeah, it makes it makes me feel like they're not that confident in in their um, you know in their product. And the, at the end of the day, it's like oh, we don't we don't want to show you it don't it's gonna be good. Don't but just take our word for it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, what is with that I, logic? I don't understand I, that.
4: I like it to some degree, just because it's like. We don't find out anything until it's it's almost ready to release, like finding out about Fallout 4 and then it releasing. Granted, Fallout 4 sucked ass, but um, <laughs> the, the fact that it released so close to it being announced was was really cool. But I do prefer being able to see progress. Uh, but I don't, I don't like what CD Projekt Red does, where they announced Cyberpunk in like 2012, and then they've delayed it like eight times since then. So I, I like somewhere in the middle. I like developer diaries, though. I like transparency in the gaming community. I think that we could use more of that, honestly. Yeah,
2: like, uh, like I'm, I'm actually following this uh, MMO right now called Ashes of Creation, um, that has been like in the works for several years now. Um, but the only reason why I'm still following it, really and still like confident that it's going to actually be a really good game is because i keep getting little peeks behind the curtain and seeing like okay here's these here are these like models we've been working on here's these like animation cycles you know here's how uh this system's going to work and we can actually show it working it's like it's you know, it, it builds confidence in the game. And I think that's
0: it. It makes you feel like the studio is so confident.
2: Yeah. You know, they're, they're
0: not worried. I think the way, and this may not be their motivation, but like Bethesda is, is, I think, horrible about this. But, you know, is that they don't want to tell anybody anything because people will get upset or people will <laughs> yeah. complain or people will
2: troll. You know what? That's life. And yeah. that makes your product better sometime. Well, and also it, it tells me that they're not very, it feels like, it's like they can't defend their decisions, right? Like if you, if you're not confident enough to be able to give people that look uh, behind the curtain and, and say like, okay, we made this decision and here's why we made this decision. Then that tells me you don't really have a lot of like clarity of vision, you know? Um, yeah. Or well you, and you know maybe I'm, I'm I'm probably reading too much into it, but I, I think there's a balancing act here between hype, which you know the extreme level uh of which is announce the game, say nothing, release the game
0: so do we do we want to even do I even want to even say what the 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 one big argument in in Jesse's favor for what you're saying? I think what you should mention, Jesse, this is the one big one um that followed that model of releasing information, giving details to the community, just being very transparent. And then the game was released and everything went to hell. You know, the game I'm talking about has to do with space.
4: Uh, knowing you, i oh. a No Man's Sky.
0: Yeah. Uh, no Man's Sky is the example of when that goes wrong, right? You you promise things that you can't deliver on. You you put too many details out there of things really which which for the developer at the time he said were wishes of what we were hoping to get to, but he communicated them as this is what you're gonna get day one.
2: And you know, actually Bethesda, maybe do you guys remember the the whole radiant AI thing from Oblivion that oh um, that's true, yeah. Uh, yeah, that video they showed of that like lady and the dogs and everything and like someone yes. kills a dog and she gets sad or something. I don't I don't remember the exact details. Yeah, no. And then I none of that was exactly. in the final game, and people got, got kind of pissed. Maybe that's why Bethesda has or maybe that's like a, a part of why Bethesda has been shying away from that promotion model. Yeah, I don't know, but it is definitely their strategy. I think when
0: we saw just I don't want to stay on them too long, but when we saw the interview they recently did with um Pete Hines, Todd Howard and Phil Spencer where they were talking with uh, Major Nelson, um that whole interview, you could just I I like Todd Howard. I think he's he's a genius. I think he's probably a wonderful person. But man, don't put him on camera. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? His demeanor is so aloof. He's just like, why am I here? You're not worth my time. And and here's Major Nelson giving him a little bit of feed there, saying in the interview, can you tell us one thing about Starfield? Tell the fans. The fans are really craving this community that pays your salary is really interested in hearing just a little bit about this, this game. And his answer was, well, it's further along in development than it was when this interview started, oh my God, I mean, what a I mean, tell me that that does not come across bad to the fan community. I mean that, that's, that's not big big.
2: yeah, right, exactly,
0: yeah, I mean, exactly what parenthesis said i I think you you know it's I don't know. I just it bothers me, and I think he's great. I think they do great things. I'm a fan, and that's why I complain, but It just bothers me. Anyway, back to uh, BG3. Um, This is not giving out any spoilers here. so You don't have to stop the podcast or pause it. Um, This is actually read off of the back of their uh, little box advertisement that they have. Um, The story behind the game, and you can see this from the trailer as well, is that it's Mind Flayers is the focus, and they're just cool. Um, the mind flayers—they've launched this aggressive invasion of the forgotten realms, right? And part of their key um, strategy is they—the uh, way that they work is they insert these tadpoles into the brains of their captives, um, and that eventually transforms the beings into mind flayers. Almost is like a—it births a new mind flayer when they do that. Um, The player, evidently, according to this this thing on their website, is one such captive, um, along with a a wizard and a half-elf cleric and a few other people. Um, And that's when you're given the choice at the beginning. And you see this from one of the videos they posted of choosing your character, and that whole story begins. So I think it's it's all about um, the mind flayers trying to manipulate the realm. It says that they travel on their vessels, these cool-looking flying ships, Nautiloids or something they're called. They jump between realms, um, and uh, it just looks like a whole heck of a lot of fun, Um, and just seems to me to be really, again, digging into that, that mythos of the Forgotten Realms, of Faerun, of of well Baldur's Gate which we know is a huge city in the Forgotten Realms um and I think that to me is very appealing um have you guys seen any uh videos or trailers or anything is there anything that has stood out to you that says this is something that really triggers me that I I really am excited about
2: I mean I um I think just involving mind flayers in general is, is always a slam dunk pretty much ever, uh, ever. Well, one of my first big RPG memories uh, comes from *Neverwinter nights, uh, uh, hordes of the underdark. Um, and there's this mind flare like colony, um, in that game. I don't, I don't remember honestly a whole lot about it. Cause I haven't played this game since I was like 17 years old, but, it still sticks with me as just, oh my god, these are such creepy antagonists. Like, you know, taking over people's minds and it, turning people into more... Like, that's how they reproduce. They they uh, take sentient people, you know, sentient humanoids and turn them into mind flayers. And it's just... And they're, they're they're like supremely intelligent, you know, scheming. They're wonderful, wonderful villains, and I I can't wait to uh, to see what Larian does with them.
0: Oh my god, yeah the the video. I don't know if you saw it. The one of the ones they have skull is cut open and the brain is kind of yeah. pulsating. Oh my gosh, the intellect mean, devourer thing. Yeah, yes, that's just absolutely crazy. Anybody else? Uh, have you seen anything or heard anything that excites you?
3: Actually. I have to say, I saw, just saw a, a video about it where where Sven played through it, uh, a few hours of, of the game and, and I have to say I wasn't that excited by it but the the actual ship that the mind flare has that was that was that was really exciting because it was perhaps kind of sort of a throwback to the old um, what was it called it was starship spelljammer it was called oh where- yeah it's one of those forgotten D and D settings where they had these ships that could travel between worlds in, in space, and it was kind of a fantasy sci-fi bullshit setting of the of the first and finest order. Uh, so, so, so that really got my hopes up that we might actually see something like that in the I've future. I've actually got
2: a friend who's running a Spelljammer campaign uh, right now, and the the little bits and pieces I hear from that just make me think, oh my god. What a cool setting. I would love. I, I mean, just I would love a return to that. that's that's fascinating
0: information. I think uh, I think that when I saw those ships parenthesis, I was just amazed by that as well. and i and and the callback there. And I think that just goes even further to show that they're trying to be as faithful as they can to the license that they have and trying to they know how precious it is and how easily it could be taken away. So they're probably just being as careful and touching on as many things that fans might want to see. Um, there's a couple of details that I was able to pull out for listeners who might be interested in what they can expect in the early release portion of the the game. And I'm just going to run down this list pretty quickly, um, just so you you know some of the details. Uh, one of the this this is all stuff that's that's out there on YouTube. None of this is going to spoil the game for you. Um, because nobody's played it yet. Um, You basically start outside of Baldur's Gate at the beginning of the game. Eventually, after like 20 hours or so, you make your way actually inside of uh, Baldur's Gate. Um, But that's not the only location you're going to travel to. And part of the whole Mind Flayer thing of traveling to other planes uh, means you're going to visit a lot of other places. Uh, Underdark was also mentioned as as a potential place that you would visit. Um, you're going to be able to pick uh, a lore character, um, or you're going to be able to create your own custom character. Now, if any of you played Divinity Two, um, Divinity Two uh, allowed you to do this as well. The disadvantage was if you did not choose a lore character, uh, I don't know how to say it. It kind of like, some detail out of the game, right? Yeah, yeah. You didn't fit into the the story as well, it, you just weren't as much a part of it. Um, and uh, another game I played on the Switch, by the way. But um, it, it just, you needed to be that Laura character. Now, one of the things that Larian has specifically said, because a lot of people have been talking about this is one of their concerns, yeah, I want to create my own custom character, but I don't want to suffer because of it. Um, and this is what they have said. They have said that customer characters have a strong connection to the world. Um, This is their promise, is that we have fixed that issue, per se. Um, You're also going to have choices that have an impact on the world. Everything that I've seen has shown that even the most minor choices that you make, um, according to them, are going to affect everything, from places you can travel to, to characters that you'll meet, um, to uh, dialogue options that will appear to you. So. Every choice is going to change your path, which promises that the game, hopefully, will be different every time you play it, pretty much, even though the story is going to be generally the same. Um, there are going to be pre-made characters, as we mentioned, the lore characters. There's Lazelle, which is the warrior, Gale, which is the wizard, uh, Shadowheart is a cleric, A Will is a warlock, and Astorion is the rogue. Um, those are ones that you will be able to choose or, of course, make your own. And this are ones that are available in the uh, early release a couple of weeks from now. Um, the races, you're not going to have all of them, uh, but these are the ones that are available at uh, the launch of the early release. The tiefling, the drow, human, dwarves, elves, half-elves, half-drow, and halfling. And there are potential subraces for those, but they didn't detail whether those subrace options are available in early release. Classes are very different. Um, in the early release, you're limited to Wizard, Cleric, Fighter, Ranger, Rogue, and Warlock, just the traditional uh, D&D trope classes. Um, they have said, though, after early release, when the final product does come out, that you'll be able to play every single d and 5th edition class. And archetype associated with that class, which to me is pretty phenomenal. When you consider fifth edition has been around for a while, and there's quite a few books with quite a few
2: additional
0: uh, uh, yeah. archetypes and classes and sub races.
2: I mean, are they really going to tackle all of that stuff? It makes me wonder what the scope is. Because like putting okay, so like putting all the classes and subclasses from the player's handbook in, I could see that. Like that makes sense. Um, you know you 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 leave some some of the classes with kind of the short end of the stick on that one with, like the sorcerer because the sorcerer in 5e if you're just using the player's handbook you can either just be a wild magic sorcerer or a dragon sorcerer and the wild magic sorcerer is uh, okay in my opinion at least like by far the inferior choice in that you know in that uh, in that decision um my concern honestly is, how close they're sticking to what's written in the player's handbook, um, in terms of how uh certain classes play, and when I say that, I specifically mean the ranger. Um, I don't know how many of you guys play Dungeons and Dragons, like fifth edition.
3: I had a go at it some years ago,
2: I definitely play. I've-
3: I've
4: never even had the opportunity to play a uh, tabletop RPG. Jesse, we have to
0: fun. fix this problem. I'm, Time I'm to start dude, with the podcast. If,
4: if I had friends to play it with, I would so be down because it's been a dream of mine, but it's just never happened.
2: We'll fix we'll that. Live play podcast. Let's go. Yeah, we
4: will hold you to that. I am down for
0: it.
2: <laughs> Calvary, have you ever played?
5: I was going to say Jesse's not the only one. No, I've never had the opportunity to play a tabletop uh, D&D. I wish they could. you okay.
4: and I are innocent cavalry. You and me we're going to be noobs. <laughs> All I know is that new people usually make some sort of special snowflake character that sucks and then they die instantly. So
2: either that or a human fighter. Yeah. Yeah, human fighter. There you go. <laughs> um but yeah, so uh so then Sora, you you might be the only one who really like it, uh, unless pr- unless parenthesis unless unless you've played a ranger before, um the ranger in the player's handbook is like way underpowered compared to every other class, like specifically like the beastmaster ranger, you have uh, an oh, animal yeah. companion, and on your turn, uh, either you can attack or your animal companion can attack, not both. And it's, it's like, no, you know, there are other classes that have like summons and stuff and summons can act completely independently of, of the, uh, Of the caster um so the ranger is the only one who has this like weird hamstrung action economy issue where they just can't do as much as everybody else Uh, there there was a, a supplement actually released after the player's handbook came out uh called the ranger revised specifically because tons and tons of fifth edition players were like yo this is really dumb uh, and wizards came back and they were like, "Yeah, you know what? That was really dumb. Here's here's a bunch of buffs to every uh, ranger archetype." And I actually have played that specific uh, that um, I played a hunter ranger uh, from level one to level twenty uh, in a uh, in a campaign a couple years ago, and um, using the revised ranger rules just made it so much better. Oh my god! Um,
0: yeah, well, I can even say I think one of the reasons that rangers get picked on is because or at least when people are creating characters for modules that I, that I'm running, um, I always put it to him this way. I say, well, basically a ranger does absolutely nothing. Other classes can't do better.
2: Right. Well, and, and the, the other problem was in the original printing, how incredibly situational Rangers were like you have a favored terrain in which you get bonuses right, yeah. and, and if you don't communicate with your dungeon master or like, you know, decide to, you know, uh, pick like, you know, a like favorite terrain tundra or something. And your dungeon master spends half the campaign in the desert. Like, great. You just don't get to use a b- whole bunch of your class abilities, uh, and like favorite enemies, right? Like, um, I, th- I think in the original printing, uh, rangers had like very specific favorite enemies and then revised ranger came along they were like okay you know we're gonna we're gonna broaden these out a little bit because otherwise you just aren't gonna get bonus damage unless your dm specifically designs an encounter to you know right to be something that you're that you just happen to be good at
0: i think revised ranger is an improvement but i don't think it's fixed i think I think one of the things that Larian said in an interview that I saw, and this kind of pertains to what you're saying, is that while while they are remaining as faithful as possible to 5th edition rules and to the entire um, mythos uh, around 5th edition and Forgotten Rounds, is they're going to be as faithful as they can be. But at the end of the day, and this is what they said, at the end of the day, the player rules out. So... Yeah. the player is going to be the one they develop for. Um And they want the player experience to be good. So I would think that they're going, that would be an
2: example, a good example of something they might actually change. I've already seen, you know, they're, they're definitely not afraid to to make changes like with, uh, I don't know if you guys saw like one of the first gameplay um demos they did, but uh the Mage Hand spell. in oh, yeah. In Tabletop 5th edition, Mage Hand just lets you like, pick something up from a distance and move it very slowly and it has to be like five pounds or less or something it's useful don't get me wrong you know it's but it's a cantrip you you can cast it over and over again they didn't want to make it too useful i get it but in uh in baldur's gate three mage hand can do all kinds of crazy stuff exactly people with it you know i'm usually pretty liberal with that as a and i'm not gonna crazy stuff
0: but i'm I, it is pretty limited in the game in the actual player's handbook, you know, so it's good that they're expanding on it, making it more genuine experience.
2: I mean, more not genuine, but like interesting. Yeah, I, I really hope they, they continue that trend and make make it so that every spell and every ability is like something you can build around, you know? I mean, this
0: I'm looking at the quote right now on their web. In final release, you will be able to play all D and D fifth edition classes and races. Now, what they don't say is kind of what you were hinting at. Are they talking about in is the actual end of that sentence in the original player's handbook? Right, because look at all of the books they've released since then that have added races and sub races, new classes. Yeah, like
2: I've got Xanathar's Guide to Everything sitting next to me actually right now, and I'm playing uh, a druid. Uh, in a campaign I'm in right now, uh, who's the uh, Circle of Dreams Druid, uh, themed around the Fae And oh yes, oh, yes, that that subclass is so cool. You can like teleport people. Uh, you can, uh, you know, you've got this like really, really nice, flexible heal that like comes out of a a pool of points that you get. You know, you get another point every level, and you can heal more with your bonus action. It's just really, really. Cool and fun and flavorful and like, I do hope they dip into, um, you know, a uh, uh, non-player's handbook content uh, for for some of the yeah. some of the classes because there's well, there's I, there's some rich veins there.
0: Yeah, I mean, they don't have to go as far as Everon, but they they can <laughs> they don't have to get crazy, but they they can do different things. They I think here's what for me impressed me the most about everything I've read or heard about the Baldur's Gate three release and. It is the fact that, again, I can't reiterate this anymore. This is similar to Divinity Two, but this is not Divinity three. And the fact that we finally are getting a first class studio. I mean, this is we know that they put out quality stuff. These people are not messing around. We know that they have experience in creating engaging content. Um, a d and d game, a video game, d and d video game. I mean, yeah, there's millions of games out there that simulate it, but this one is per, looks pretty darn faithful and I'm excited about that because I don't remember a whole lot. You know, there back in the days of Pools of Radiance and all of all of those titles um where they really tried to be as faithful and you would you would roll yeah. the dice and all of that. Um, and i guess to a certain extent the D mmo if that's still going on i don't know it's if it still is. going on i've got i've got friends who are way into that really yeah. I, i've never tried that i've been interested in jumping in just to see what it's like but it's free play now really okay uh, And just probably microtransactions all the way up oh. though um, one, I want to get back to some of the things that they had on the list um, for people who are listening to learn about the game. Um, you will be able to, uh, each character's background, you'll be able to choose a background, and that will affect the game pretty significantly according to them. <clears throat> Even so far as there is content in the game that is related to these backgrounds that won't be available if you play other backgrounds. Um, so these are the backgrounds that they have publicized on their website, the charlatan, the criminal, the entertainer, the folk hero, and the noble. Um, I'm assuming what they're getting at from that is that say, for example, you play the criminal, if that's your background, then maybe you have access to some sort of, um, guild or, um, area or housing or something that, that other players wouldn't have. That would be my Mm -hmm. guess
2: yeah that's all a holdover from the tabletop game um and actually it looks like it looks like there are more backgrounds than that that may have since been added. uh the sage the soldier the urchin wow that's excellent the Entertainer? I, did you say the entertainer i don't know yeah yeah but those are good yeah yeah and i've i've always loved that aspect of, of fifth edition like because the backgrounds don't just you know it's not a paint by numbers kind of thing where you you just you know this is just your background, like it's like super prescriptive or anything or anything like that. Backgrounds aren't just fluff; they're mechanical. Like they, yes. give, you, they give you proficiencies. You know, if you're say uh, a criminal, you might have you might start the game with thieves' tools proficiencies, even if you're not a rogue. You know, um, if you're a uh, you know a folk hero, um, you know people. There's actually a class feature. Or Sorry, a background feature where uh, country folk are more likely to like take you in and, you know, take care of you for a while if you need them to. Um, It's it's actually it's one of my favorite aspects of fifth edition compared to previous editions of the game. And I'm really, really happy that it's making the jump to Baldur's Gate three because yeah, I'm excited about it as well. It's it's just another dimension of depth to your character. and, And oh, man, just just. Just give me as much of that as I can get. Just coat me in it. Mm. Now they even went into
0: some some actual gameplay specifics. I know some people have been worried is that I can play like Skyrim, or is this a game that I can play more like Divinity? It's going to be like Divinity. They've said that you can switch between isometric and third person. I have not heard anything about a first person option, and I think that would be difficult considering the combat mechanics and companions, maybe you're able to zoom into that that perspective, but I haven't seen anything about that yet. Um, But third person is pretty darn close, and that's probably gonna be the most popular choice, I would assume, Um, unless you're in combat and you wanna pull all the way back, you know. Uh, Combat's gonna be similar to Divinity 2. They said that battles are gonna be divided into turns where each turn, a character has a certain number of action points to spend. Um, they did say that Baldur's Gate Three does not have a specific order in which your party attacks. Not really sure what they mean by that.
2: Um, um, so it, I'm guessing that maybe initiative will be rerolled every turn. Um, I see. I know that that's a that's a way a lot of people play uh, D&D. Um, well, some that people play. Is-
4: that is a that is a part of the conversation I can actually add to. Um, <laughs> uh, I know that in Darkest Dungeon, everyone has a speed stat essentially. Uh, so naturally people with higher speed would go before other people, but there's also a roll before the battle starts on each turn that is added to your speed. So whoever gets the highest numbers will get uh, their f- turn first. So you can have someone with really high speed who gets a bad roll and ends up going last, and someone with Relatively low speed that gets a really great role and goes first. So that I can see that being a, a similar system in a, yeah. in a turn-based RPG.
2: You know what? You're totally right. Cause I just realized um in Divinity Original Sin, you just have an initiative stat, and that's there's no variables involved. Like if your initiative is higher than another person's initiative, you're going to go before them every single time. But in D, that's not how it works. You have an initiative modifier that modifies a role at the start of battle to determine the, the turn order for that battle. And I think actually taking a step back from that, that's probably just what they're talking about. Cause that, that's, that's just something that, you know, that's just how the tabletop game works.
0: Right. And a lot of this is going to be in the background, of course, because I, one of the things they mentioned because the purists, the purists who are D and D players, and I'm kind of a purist, but the, the people who really want that experience are going to be a little disappointed. You, there's certain things you can do, but again, it's the player that takes, uh, that takes the primary focus of the developer. They want the player experience to be fluid. They want it to be consistent. They want it to be, to flow very well. They don't want you to stop. I mean, yeah, combat's going to be like Divinity 2, um, but they don't, They want the game to have fluidity to it and have it flow. They don't want to have to stop and roll for everything that you do in D&D. Now, there are some things you can roll for. You've seen in the videos that you can roll D20 for several different types of checks, like uh, Persuasion was one of the ones I saw, Insight. Um, But for example, if you're going to climb a wall in Baldur's Gate 3, they're not going to make you roll for that. So it's going to be a built-in statistic. It's going to roll in the background just because that might even become annoying for some people if you have to yeah it's a
2: time waster I, I I think that I think that they'd be wise to make it so that you only see the die rolling when there's an element of like suspense you know it's in like slower moments it looks like, like
0: from the videos it looks like it
2: mainly happens conversations and interactions is what to me that's what it looked like yeah, yeah yeah like like you go to pickpocket someone right and there's that moment of like oh, oh, oh man, am I going to succeed on this? And the die rolls and rolls and rolls and slowly lands on whatever number it's going to land on. Like, that's a cool experience. I I get that. Um, Another thing they mentioned is romance is definitely an option.
0: Um, I mean, we're not talking... (laughs) Yeah, we're not talking hot coffee here, but we're we're talking, um, you know, this is going to be intimate moments that will happen between you and companions potentially. Uh, however, they did say, this is interesting, I thought, that uh, alignments, race choices will be enforced when it comes to romance. I would assume also alignment might be part of that. I don't know, but I would I would assume that those would be calculated into relationships.
2: So what I read was um, it's not just alignment and it's not just, you know, no. uh, sexual preference and everything. It, uh, so, uh, and, and it's not even just, Um, dialogue choices that make companion you know that that solidify a like romantic connection between you and your companions it's everything you do in the game like
0: crazy like the
2: math behind that like who you kill who you spare you know um who you know what what you know uh what your outlook is on like theft and you know uh basically your companions are going to feel like companions and that really excites me like it, it's not they're not just like robots where it's like oh insert correct dialogue option to receive exactly. sex you know right
0: right oh my god yeah well have you seen some of the of the graphics and the it's in the positioning of the it's interesting <laughs> it's real kama sutra stuff man let me this tell you This is that. definitely ma i mean i don't know what so they could rate this title. From what I've seen, unless that's not going to be in the final release, but it's interesting. Let's put it that way. That is not um, like hot coffee. I think you might have lied a little bit. <laughs> well, I, that was evidently pretty graphic. I never uh, saw that, but heard Fair. about it. <clears throat> um, I think the big question now, we've talked about a lot of stuff that we know about the game. There's a lot of good video content out there for you to watch. If you go to the developer diaries, there's also people who have... I've been helping them with QA and um, quote-unquote alpha testing um, who have opinions. All have been very, very positive. People are super stoked about this. I haven't really heard any negative about it. Um, I think one of the biggest questions right now in people's minds, and you can chime in on this even if you've never played a Baldur's Gate game or don't know anything about, the third one is the concept of early access. And Are games worth early access? So with this game in particular, here's what they've said to try to snuff that concern. They're saying that there's going to be 22 total encounters. There's going to be 45,000 lines of dialogue, 596 characters you could interact with, 146 spells and actions. That's just for early access. That's not the entire game. They're going to be adding on to that. So that's just your early access content. And that's pretty considerable, I think, for a studio to give that to people for, for that early access, for buying in early and what you're going to be able to play. But here's the argument. Here's the question I really want to throw out to everyone and get your thoughts on is you as a gamer, is it better for you to um, be excited about this game and jump into it early and get get to play this early access content for a full year Um, which only takes you up to a certain part of the game and a certain level in the game? Or is it better, as a purist, as a purist RPG player, is it better for you to wait until next year in October and jump in the pool at that point when everything is ironed out, you can play the full game? Uh, Where do you lean on that, on those two choices?
2: I mean, okay, you guys already know where I stand on this. I yeah're you're all in. I am all in. Listen, I'm a very impulsive person. I hear D and D fifth edition. I hear Larian studios and my wallet is already open and like money's just falling on the ground. I don't know where it's going. Like <laughs> I am going to, I'm going to be one of those people who jumps into this game and tears it to pieces and enjoys every second of it. Probably. Unless do we it know? Sucks.
0: Do we know any data on like how much it costs to buy into early access?
2: I think it's the full price. Oh, you pay the full price of the game. dollars okay. uh, fifty nine ninety nine. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, and that that makes me a little bit leery. But at the same time, I, Larian Studios has enough bona fides with me that I am willing to part with that amount of money for you know the twenty five hour early access experience. I mean, they did the same thing with with Original Sin 2, actually. Original Sin 2 came out uh, early access first, and that game wound up being incredible. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Their track record leads me to believe that if I do, well, not if, when (laughs) I do start playing early access, like, it's going to be a good experience. You know, and eventually I think it's going to be a $60 experience and the way I play these RPGs where I start and stop all the time, like, you know, it'd be one thing if I was one of those people who, who starts a file, gets to the end of the early access part and puts it down until the rest of it comes out. But that's not me. So uh, I'm probably going to, I'm going to be playing this thing over and over again. I'm sure
0: anybody else going to jump in
2: early. Uh,
5: yeah. So pretty much, uh, uh, my opinion kind of, of of early access titles. Um, I'm actually, uh, uh, some of you guys probably won't like my opinion on this, but, um, I'm not really a fan of early access titles. Um, I've played a couple early access titles and it's pretty much just, you know, uh, limited content to kind of just experience what the game's going to be about. And, uh, you know, for me, I kind of view it as like I'm kind of just baiting, test, beta testing their game, and uh, so for for me, it's just like I'd rather just play a free beta experience and spend money to kind of do the do that experience for them. So. Uh, from Baldur from the perspective of what I think Baldur's Gate 3 is going to turn out to be, I mean, from watching the videos, um, and knowing that's Larian Studios, like I'm confident that Baldur's Gate 3 is gonna be really good. But um unless it's a game I'm really, really into like trying out, um, I'm probably gonna pass on the early access.
2: The thing is, Cavalry, normally I am 100 percent on your side. Like I've tried so many, I've been burned so many times by early access games that by this point, early access is like a trigger word for me, but it's Larian Studios, though. <laughs> That's the only like it's it's a totally emotional thing for me. Like it's Larian Studios. I just love them so much. So
0: parenthesis, you're you're a you're a player mainly and you you really like these types of games. Is this something you would you would buy into early? Or are you
3: going to wait till the end for this one? I'm going to wait but but actually for a very contrary reason actually I think it has too much content or, or in possible thing you can invest time you can invest in it for a title I would play in Early access it's like it's, if it's a small thing well you can you can just keep going over that content again and again and again try all the nuances it will probably be a, a vertical slide, not vertical slides but it would be somewhere in the story that will be a, be a main quest and you pot around you will also sort of awesome things here you start the game as far as i understand at the beginning you go through it you ro- you're rolling you're grilling in the groove and it stops and i don't feel like i want to have that experience not when i have like over 100 games i want to play in my steam backlog
0: yeah good point i, I understand it. that
4: yeah and for me for me early access has a purpose And that purpose is feedback. So if I'm going to do early access, I want it to be as a, um, yeah, I really like this feature. I really like this mechanic. Or I think this needs work. I think this needs uh, tweaking. And so I'm not going to pay $60 to get half of a game a little bit earlier than everyone else. So to me, I. I don't touch early access. If I had been excited for Fallout 76, I wouldn't have done the beta testing either, because it's just that's that's not worth it to me. I'm paying $60 to play a somewhat broken game, or in some cases, extremely broken. So I'm not really going to bother touching it, honestly, until, <laughs> I, until I know that it's something I want to buy. Uh, then I'm just going to sit back and wait.
0: I totally respect it. And I think you guys are in the majority. Three of you are in the majority. I think the I'm gonna I'm with Jed. I'm I'm all in. But uh, you know, I also have that, that feeling of, well, let's look at it like anything else. Oh, we're gonna release the first half of the book and a year later we'll release the second half, or even worse. Um, I'm going to release the first half of Star Wars, and then maybe a year later, you'll get to watch the rest of the movie. Um, and and you feel like this story arc or this narrative or whatever just gets abruptly cut off. I can see how that is off-putting, but not not also disappointing. And then and then if the game is really going to change, I don't know how much Divinity changed uh, over that year, but if it's really going to be frustrating at the beginning. You know how much do I want to deal with that? When, like, parenthesis says, I have a huge amount of gaming to do, and if I end up with the the new Xbox, I'm going to have even more gaming to do, and I need to spend those hours wisely. So it's it's hard. It's very hard. But this, for me, being a D and D lover, and just that, just really being heavy heavy D and D player. This is one of those few exceptions for me. I'm I'm going to jump ship. I'm going to jump into this one. This and
2: is one I of get, those games that I've wanted since I was a kid.
4: Yeah, I can totally see what you're saying. Uh, maybe if I have been playing D and D or any tabletop RPG for this my entire life, then I would probably also be willing to jump ship. But I mean, I mean, not knowing anything, that I'm like, nah, nothing. So I'll I'll save my money for the time being and see what it's like later.
2: Yeah, that's like that's totally understandable.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, it, it, this kind of reminds
5: me of kind of like when uh Mountain Blade Two Bannerlord uh came out in early access, and I was really excited. To, you know, I, I was thinking about jumping ship on it because you know I've been I've been waiting for uh, like I guess well Bannerlord I think is a prequel, but pretty much a sequel to uh. Uh, mountain blade for a while now and i don't know just uh when it came out and i real and i seen the like feedback from it i realized like the game wasn't really quite where it wanted to be and i kind of held out on it yeah it, but i mean i totally understand like if, if you guys are really excited for for a game i would jump ship on it too yeah i just haven't had a good experience with early access
0: yeah it can be problematic um so i wanted to end today with some email questions we do have some email questions um and if you've if these don't uh relate to you if you haven't played these games some of these are pretty specific questions don't worry about it chime in if you want chime in if you don't chime in if you don't want to um but some pretty interesting questions so uh lily emailed us and said do you have any recommendations on a good strategy guide online or offline that I can use while playing through Pillars of Eternity? The game is more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Ooh. Game okay.
3: Banshee? What did you say, parenthesis? Game Banshee? I think they have a walkthrough for the first game, at least. I don't know about the second.
2: Yeah. So I I just honestly use the Pillars of Eternity wiki, Um whenever I got stuck in that game, which, which does, which did happen. Like it, it can be pretty opaque, uh, at points. Um, and like, yeah, I know, I know a lot of people will, um, a lot of people get kind of up in arms about people using strategy guides for, uh, big RPGs like that. They're just like, oh, you're like spoiling yourself. You know, you gotta, you gotta pull up your bootstraps and figure it out on your own. But like, nah, dude, just play, have fun. (laughs) You know.
0: so, yeah, one of the things I would say to you Lily is um, the first pillars of eternity um, was part of the kickstarter for that. Um, one of the the stretch goals, I don't know if what it was stretch goal or if it was just a bonus thing when you paid extra money is they did come out with a official hardback, Pillars of Eternity Collector's Edition Guide. And it, it details everything from the beastie area to every quest to every area in the game. And it's extremely comprehensive. I think it's close to like 500 pages. It's, it's, it's insane. That would be probably one of your best bets. Now, where can you find that? I was looking on eBay. There's a couple on there, but they're really expensive. I think your best bet would be to get the PDF of that. Um, which you can, if you just do a search for um, Pillars of Eternity Guide PDF, you'll find places where you can buy it um, and, and look at that PDF. But um, other than that, I think the other two recommendations are great, and also watching playthrough videos if you have to. Um, don't get discouraged. It can be a difficult game. You're not the only one. Um, and, uh, y- you know, you'll get through it. Don't worry about it. So we have another one. This one's from Adam Rose, and this one is an interesting question. Um, I'm excited to hear what uh, you say about this one. Um, do you have a favorite companion from Pillars 1 or 2? Oh, man, Adair.
2: See, I think everybody's going to say Adair. He's the best. He's, 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 he's everybody's favorite dad i mean uh, you know yeah no the dark humor and the and the attitude and everything like he can he can you know gut someone one second and then if there's a puppy behind him turn around and immediately pet the puppy he's he's the best he's a great guy yeah and um parenthesis you, you played right
0: parenthesis you played the game right so do you have anyone that comes to mind
3: yeah, it's I mean Adair is, is definitely the most uh, personable of the companions, but I actually like Pelagina more. I mean it, I mean she's an, she's a more interesting character. She's been dealt a rotten hand by, well, fate and, and the world, and she's not shy about saying it, so but she still has a drive and a mission in her life. And I I, I don't know, but it really resonates with me.
2: Yeah, you know what? I, I get that. Like I I will say that Pillars is one of those games where there are no companions that I don't like. Like all that's of them are true. really, really well-written. Just like there are no, there are no real duds. I, I think maybe Pillars two has a couple, but that, you know that uh, some of the companions weren't really finished in that game. Um, but uh, yeah. Pillars one was, that comes to mind for me that's other than um, Maya. You Remember Maya, yeah, man. That was uh, like I romance Maya my my first playthrough on uh, oh, really, it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was I went like full Rowatai that game, and oh, um, nice, and it was just like it just doesn't really go anywhere. No, um,
0: that's true, so it's disappointing, but um, just multi dimensional character, in my opinion. That uh, Maya was the one that stuck with me, and that's another name that when I heard the question that popped in my head. Um, we have another question this one is from john um this one just came through the other day Uh, john asked the game awards stream on december 10th with uh and jeff Keeley mentioned there will be a big game reveal at the show could this be when we see starfield gameplay any thoughts i didn't first i didn't know there was going to be a big game so i'm if that's true john would it be starfield i would say no
4: i would also say no because starfield's already been revealed
2: well, well true. it's been it's been like has it have we seen gameplay from it though i don't think we have right
4: we haven't seen gameplay but they've come out and been like yeah this is our next game it's starfield it takes place in space it's a single player rpg so that is technically a reveal now a debut where you get uh whole bunch of information that hasn't happened yet but i would i would interpret reveal to be uh you're going to see a new game that you know nothing about that you haven't even seen before so do
0: you remember when they announced uh skyrim do you guys remember what they did oh actually that was uh... the one of the game awards shows where they walked out and cloaks they were they were pretending to be the guys up on the mountain whatever their names are
2: the graveyards, yeah yeah
0: and they all walked on the stage and there was this like hum still see the video for it and the oh, guy in crazy. the lead turned out to be todd howard and um that was when they i mean there was rumors about it you knew about it but that's when they really kind of dug in and said this is coming here's some gameplay or here's a trailer what was the what
2: was the exact announcement Did, does anybody know? For Skyrim, For, uh, what what did Jeff Keeley actually like say? Did he say it was a debut or like?
0: So this is in the email. The quote says, and I haven't looked this up, but he says the quote was the Game Awards. Oh wait, no, Jeff Keeley mentioned quote: there will be a big game reveal at the show." Unquote. Uh, could be okay. anything. Hey, you know what it could That's... be? Fallout Vegas too.
2: Oh, dream within a dream. Yes. Hey
4: you speak the language I know. I am down for that so much.
2: <laughs> New New Vegas. I don't
4: think <laughs> I don't I really can't imagine that if they if Obsidian made another game that they would make a sequel to New Vegas just because that it wraps up so nicely. It really does. But I remember years ago before Fallout 4 was even announced, the whole Fallout subreddit was talking about how um, Obsidian had mentioned that they would like to take it to New Orleans.
0: Ooh, yeah. see, so I was gonna say, oh, that's pick cool. a different city. Yeah,
4: yeah, because because I, I remember being really excited for that because I am actually from Louisiana, so that would have oh, been like dude. awesome. Uh, or just because don't,
0: I, don't pick a American city. You know, pick something different, more exotic, maybe.
3: That would, would be I would, interesting. You, I mean.
4: It, it would be interesting, but I would argue that Fallout is more about the story of post-apocalyptic America than it is about it. Yeah,
3: good point. Well, what
0: about
1: like Vancouver,
2: you know? America invaded Canada. In, they annexed Canada in, fall, in the Fallout uh, timeline.
4: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'd I don't know. That's,
0: that's a good question. I'm looking forward to the Game Awards. Others uh, interesting to watch because they always spice it up with some trailers and stuff, uh, although we've seen quite a few of those trailers in the past week. Um any of you guys interested in the whole uh consoles that are coming out anybody going to try to buy one or has already tried And then there were <laughs> and then there were
2: crickets and then there were crickets I have uh, I have considered buying a PS5 specifically for Demon Souls Um
4: <laughs> that's that's the only reason I would ever buy a PS5 is just for FromSoft uh exclusives but Yeah Um I, I'm gonna be honest. I play on my PC, and I play on my Xbox. My Switch is essentially a three hundred dollar Smash machine. That's really only, yeah. That's the only that's the only reason I really use my Switch. That and um for Breath of the I, Wild. And yeah, I was gonna
0: say, have you again. never played Breath of the Wild? I mean, yeah, I mean seriously. I, I did. I played
4: through. I I played through it like really hard, but um. I all I ever use it for now is Smash, and when my sister in law comes over, we all play Mario Kart together as a family, but that's it. So, um, the,
0: the Skyrim port on it is pretty phenomenal. I, will say I, that.
4: I, I have heard that, and I've considered getting it just so that way I have something to do at work because half my job is sitting around waiting for stuff to happen. But, um, I use my PC for. Anything that like I care about, so like when the Bethesda games come out, I will get them on my PC. And actually,
0: uh, right. uh, Divinity is better on that than Pillars. I have, I yeah,
4: that doesn't Pillars. surprise
0: me. That doesn't surprise me I have
4: no me. doubt. I have no doubt. But I, my Xbox, I reserve for shooters, uh, simply because I, for whatever reason, my hands are incompetent with a mouse and keyboard. So when i want to play shooters especially multiplayer like if they ever come up with a battlefront 3 uh, i'm gonna have to get the xbox i'm gonna have to play it on my xbox because uh then everyone is about as good as i am
2: Uh, (laughs) yeah because the 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 skill uh cap i think on pc for shooters is like way 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 higher like I, i i think that uh especially for competitive shooters. Oh, they've God. always had an
0: advantage. I mean, there's yeah. a reason that at, at the, the uh, e-games, at the uh, the competitions that they're not playing on a Switch. I mean, there's a reason <laughs> that they're playing exactly. on a PC. Yeah. You,
4: you The mouse is just more precise at the end of the day, which, uh, fun story, my very first shooter that I ever played uh, in my entire life was Star Wars Dark Forces 2 on my Windows 98 computer. Windows <laughs> 98. <laughs> and um i didn't even realize that you were supposed to use wasd and the mouse
0: oh my
1: gosh
4: Um, i used the arrow keys that entire game that's uh, cute so no yeah no so i've never i've never particularly enjoyed playing a game with a mouse and keyboard it's always been a controller for me so um, I I reserve my uh, Xbox for like shooters and stuff like that.
2: Well, when you started with that, I mean, <laughs> who could blame you?
0: Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap it up. I I want to give everybody a chance if you're interested, and uh, only if you want to shout out to give a chance to tell people where they can find you if they if they want to catch either your streams or your your Twitter account. Um, if you want to shout it out now, go for it.
2: Well. I'll I'll go at least. Um uh you can find my uh, my Twitch stream at twitch uh twitch.tv slash Jed Do. Uh I've been uh I recently uh started a, a little series with a friend of mine called Game Tasters, where we uh it's kind of it's kinda silly, we uh give each other like a game to play that the other person has never played, along with a food or drink pairing. Um I love that idea. Yeah, and, and uh, tomorrow, so Sunday, the 27th, uh, me and my friend Dr. Dax are going to be, uh, I'm going to be introducing him to Pillars of Eternity. Um, he's not going to get very far, but that's okay. Uh, along with a uh, uh, whiskey ginger ale um, cocktail with a uh, <laughs> um, rock candy stirrer, green rock candy for wow. Audra.
4: That sounds delicious. Uh, I would like to recommend Fallout 76 with a single pot of boiling water that you have to down.
2: <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> Makes it more pleasant,
2: yeah. Oh, uh, but we've already done one Outward with uh, like just survival snacks, beef jerky, and stuff, um, and that was really fun. Um, and yeah, that's that's me. Oh, and I'm on YouTube as well, Twitch, uh, youtubecom jetmandoo.
4: Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Todd is my mom. Nice callback, and um, besides that, I have a Reddit account where I do have a world building project, so you can find that at reddit.com/r/dinum. So,
0: very good. And I'm uh, I run the Avowedcast account on Twitter, and you can obviously find us on our website and other ways to connect with us. So, thanks you guys for hanging out today. Really appreciate your time, and um, we'll be back with more content uh next week
1: believe what you will i deny it
0: thank you for listening to the vodcast that'll do it for today uh thank you for being part of this amazing gaming community that is developing around this future release we're all excited about it um also want to thank all the feedback we've been getting uh sending in your emails to avowedcast at gmail.com we received quite a few in just the past week really appreciate uh, all the positive comments and some of the constructive comments we're listening Um, if you want to get in touch with us you can email us at avowedcast at gmail.com also if you're interested in being on the show we would love to have more people join us who are fans and if you just want to come on and talk about something uh, shoot us an email let us know your schedule and uh, we'll have you jump on at some point so you can talk with us. Um, and even for those of you who don't want to be on the live recording but want to submit something, um, feel free. I mean, we'll, we'll take questions about the game, about the company, uh, gaming in general, your opinions, editorials. Um, game experiences, anything like that, you can share uh, via writing or you can even uh, leave a voice file. You can share an mp3 file either through email, you can post to Twitter, at a Vodcast, use Dropbox or Google Drive. Um, but we also have a voicemail line if you want to call in and leave a note there. The voicemail is 202-810-4223. Um, thank you again for listening and we're going to end today as we always end. With uh, some of the musical genius of Justin Bell. This time we're going to do something a little different. When you close your eyes and you imagine your time in Aora, we want to envision a tavern. <laughs>